a playlist original. Hey, you guys, I'm Steven. I'm Giselle. And we are the Lover's Passport, and you are coming on to Unfiltered Adventures. This is where we're going to be talking about any raw content, anything behind the scenes, mishaps on trips, how it really is behind the scenes. Because our biggest platform, or our favorite platform, is Instagram. And we always put post those picture perfect moments and those crazy reels highlights to banger songs and on here we just want to get real we want to talk about the behind the scenes what it's really like out there on the road traveling so welcome to another episode and today we are talking about Guatemala yeah so we just got back this is our first time ever in Central America um, outside of Mexico And Guatemala was a sponsored trip for us, or it was a fam trip. So basically everything was covered for us. And so we just got to go and enjoy and see what the country had to offer. So let's just walk you guys through the trip. We're going to start off with the flight. Super easy. If you guys are flying, I thought Guatemala was further away. It's honestly shorter than flying from the west coast to the east coast in the u.s so if you guys are looking to go really nice easy flight it's not this week actually I mean, it depends where you're where you're based out of it's easy flight from california <laughs> okay she's not wrong i mean fly it's way easier for us flying there than like this weekend we're flying out to dubai and jordan that is what like a 15 hour flight it's ridiculous it's one of the longest flight paths in the entire world so flight was really easy getting there was interesting the airport is probably the smallest airport it's, I think we've ever been to. Or like one of the smallest. It's super tiny. We flew in to Guatemala City, which is going to be um, your main airport for this whole area. Actually, there was another airport that we did flew, fly into in Flores, and that was even smaller. That was two, two very tiny airports, very easy to navigate uh, when you're going in and out. But, but the unfortunate part is there's no... Like we, our plan was once we landed, we were like, okay, let's buy a SIM card. We're going to be here for about a week. We want to use the SIM card as we're getting around because we didn't have to, we didn't want to pay all the extra fees for using our US carrier data in Guatemala. But there was, there was nowhere to buy it. We were like, but what's going on here? Because other airports, you can usually find that. But yeah, this one we didn't. So we just, we definitely recommend getting some sort of local currency because most places do take card, but a lot of the local vendors and local, basically any salespeople will prefer cash. So definitely recommend once you land getting some sort of local currency on you. Yeah, everything there was about what, was it three times or six times as cheap as the u.s so like one american dollar was i think it's like six or seven the yeah current so ratio. we we just pulled out a hundred a hundred dollars or u.s dollars which was around 600 to 700 um what do they cells yes sure. which is actually a bird there we'll get into that later anyway so we got that we walked outside and we highly recommend if you guys plan on seeing a lot of the country going with a tourism operator we had the chance that we had private shuttles basically throughout the entire country it was fantastic so we immediately got picked up from our private driver and we we were in Guatemala City that's where you fly into we don't recommend well actually we can't say because we didn't really spend a lot of time in Guatemala City that is the one 
area where we heard a lot of people tell us not to go there because of safety concerns. And also, for the record, Steve and I both don't speak Spanish. So if you don't speak Spanish, you definitely want a guide in this area or some sort of um, tour operator just because you really do need Spanish to get around. Oh, and, yeah. There's, de- there's navigate definitely a Guatemala. language barrier. And so we, for some reason, I decided to take French in high school instead of Spanish, even though I live in Southern California. So it didn't really help me there, but most of the tour guides are bilingual. And so that that's a definite perk to having that on top of the private transportation, which leads me back into the safety conversation. I think that's the number one question we've been asked while posting Guatemala content is, did you feel safe there? What was it like in terms of crime and whatnot? And I feel like since we avoided Guatemala City, our tour guide said there's a lot of like slums or favelas similar to the ones in Brazil over in Guatemala City, which like any big town, you have to avoid certain aspects. Like even in Los Angeles, like you you don't want to avoid or you want you don't want to go into certain neighborhoods like in Compton, you know. So same thing goes here. You just have to be aware and careful and do your research ahead of time of the cities you don't want to be meandering around at night at, basically. But we felt very safe the whole time. Yeah, we did feel very safe, but it was interesting talking to some of the locals because from their perspective, they even were like, yeah, in Guatemala City, we don't go outside at night. You don't want to... One of our locals said that he had friends tell him, yeah, you never want to be sitting at a park bench, relaxing, reading a book. Anytime after sunset. In Guatemala City. You could do that in Antigua, but... I thought that was very, very interesting, though. I was like, what? Like... Even locals. Yeah, even the locals kind of know, like, yo, it's it's sketchy here. You aren't going to want to stay outside at night. But other than that, during the day, it was... It was fine. Very, very busy. And... One thing that we didn't realize is the population of Guatemala City is bigger than the population of Los Angeles. It has 5 million people and one in five people have a car there. So it, it is crazy traffic, tr- crazy busy. Um, and that's something definitely we were not prepared for, for how packed it was there, especially yeah, it, on these chicken buses. Oh so there's these goodness. things called chicken buses. <laughs> and they're like, I imagine, what's that movie, Mad Max? That's oh, kind yeah. of what I think of. I think of like these giant buses with all these people crammed inside and they are racing each other down these roads like the driving could definitely be sketch because same thing with i feel like we encounter that in the middle east too where everyone's driving is just like very aggressive and uh there there are like no straight roads in guatemala like when we were driving from the airport everything is super curvy because of all the mountains there and you see these chicken buses like hauling and racing each other that... and the chicken buses don't even stop like what you should picture you is <laughs> okay what you're imagining here is imagine a school bus we know our cute little big um school buses that everyone drives around picks up all the kids think of the longest like biggest school buses you have now take someone spray painting them every single one is spray painted and decorated very, very beautiful watermelon colors. And each Red. one is for a different country. Like each color, or country. not country, sorry, city. Each one represents a different city. So you can know where that bus is going based on the color of the bus, which I thought was smart. Yeah, it was super interesting, but they don't stop. Like these huge buses, they'll be moving and they all of a sudden down. you'll see them <laughs> slow down. One guy will jump off the bus to help with traffic. He'll put his hands out and like tell all the cars around like stop so you'll see five people jump off. One person starts jumping in before the guy that's directing traffic even has his foot on the bus. Taking off. It starts going. We're like, what is happening? And even crazier 
is if you don't have things to fit inside the bus, they go on top and the bus will start moving. And this guy's just walking on top of the bus that's moving at this It was crazy. crazy. Like, picture this school bus, spray painted, beautiful colors. This guy runs out, grabs a huge ladder and other farm equipment, starts climbing. He's climbing the ladder as the bus is driving down the insane busy road. On top of the bus, there's also chickens, there's eggs, there's huge baskets. It's there's, a big agriculture area. It's so. just, it was, it was, it felt like a movie to watch. I was like, what is happening? And when we say these chicken buses, there's not one. There's Tons hundreds. If there might be a thousand of them. They are everywhere, especially in Guatemala City. Because like we said, Guatemala City has five million people, which is, first off, ridiculous. But then you have all these outlying I said countries too. All these outlying cities, towns, they even have villages out there that hop on these chicken buses and commute into town to work. And then they'll commute out of town later. So that is definitely the biggest form of public trans transport. And a lot of people use them. The only thing that we did hear about the chicken buses is they are sketchy. Like the, you can get, if you have a lot of luggage and stuff, like you can get targeted on those. But Yeah, you they're definitely, I've heard that, or they were saying that people would go on them with guns and rob people. But they also said that it's, like, tamed a little bit since yeah. COVID. And then let's talk about their driving for a second. Oh, my goodness. Think about the craziest L.A. driver ever in their, what, BMW, Mercedes, or Lamborghini ripping around people. Now picture that with a 30 to 50-foot school bus. It, th- these guys were passing us, and we were in our, what, sprinter vans, 4x4, yeah. four four, driving down the road like a nice van, cruising, and our driver, Carlos, was fantastic. He got us from point A to B quick, but these these chicken buses were, were so fast. I couldn't believe how insane they were driving. But yeah, that's basically the intro to our trip to Guatemala. The first stop that we made was in Lake Atitlan, and that took us about two or three hours from Guatemala City, so we immediately hit the ground running once we landed. And Lake Atitlan has, like, I think it's 12, 12 to 20, I forget the exact number, of different villages, and each of them specializes in a certain craft or certain industry. So the ones that we immediately got to check out we're specializing in ceramics and textiles and chocolate and coffee. It was this is a very cool cultural area. I think if you are planning on spending a bit of time in Guatemala, Lake Atitlan, you could spend easily a week there and see something different every single day. Yeah, it was such a romantic lake too. If you're looking for like a honeymoon destination or since it was the two of us, it was very, very nice. You could get lost among the little streets, find yourself in these little textile or like Jisa was saying, ceramic areas. And the cool thing about it is everyone there wants to show you how it was handmade. So it was beautiful to see these people explain how the ceramics are pulled out, what the natural elements are, how they put them together, the crazy process and how long it takes for them to make just one simple cup or one small um, bowl, for instance. And we actually ended up taking one of these home. Each village has different designs and different ways that they decorate them. And one of the very, very unique ways of decorating them was with these beautiful blue colors and beautiful swirls on the side. So we actually ended up buying a little coffee cup from them. Yeah. And that was in the village of San Antonio Palopo. That kind of reminded us of like 
what you think of the Amalfi Coast, like these stacked, uh, layered, colorful buildings and beautiful. It, it's just sitting right across from the volcanoes in Lake Atitlan. And yeah, the ceramics were also beautiful. They explained how all the different ones were representative of the colors of the lake and how they kind of incorporated their sacred like birds into their work and how they would make, I think it was like 15 ceramic pieces a day and continue to sell it. And so tourism is very, very important to these local, local villages. Yeah, but that was, that was the first village we went to. And the cool thing about Lake Atitlan is if you were staying there, you could either take a boat from one side to the other and it would be like a pretty cheap two too. or three hour boat ride and they you can take private charters if like you can pay people to take you or they have kind of like the chicken buses they have public transit but it's a boat so they'll take you across the lake or to the different cities driving around it would take hours this lake is one of the biggest lakes in all of guatemala i think it's the second second biggest lake and the cool thing about it is it's surrounded by these beautiful volcanoes so on every single side of it there's little volcanoes there's giant volcanoes none of them are active they are all dormant but it is such a beautiful area to be able to visit these small cities i think my favorite city that we went to had the chocolate tasting that was at san juan la laguna so this one we did have to take a... We took a ferry from Panja Chachel. I think that's how you say it. Uh, that took about 45 minutes. And I would say that that specific town is like the center hub of Lake Atitlan. Like that's where all the ferries go to all the other little uh, villages. And that was really fun. That's where you get the cho- chocolate textiles and... Did they also did they, they also had in that art. One? The art oh, the was art. Yes. incredible. They have this really unique style called bird's eye. And basically picture like your regular farmers market, beautiful colors of the fruits, the oranges, all the people wearing these beautiful Guatemalan traditional clothes, but instead of shooting like think of a regular picture, think of a drone. So they'll throw they'll they'll imagine like they're above them and they'll take the pictures down so you get these super intricate colors these amazing different patterns and it was just a very very unique way of painting and every single artist there has their own style in the Guatemalan culture corn is such an important um, way of life it's where a lot of them think that they came from as part of the Mayan culture and it's there's so many different types of corn and colors of corn you'll definitely if you ever visit Guatemala it's really interesting being made able to learn about it and they have these beautiful paintings of all the different types of corn but my favorite thing to do was the chocolate tasting oh my goodness we basically got to see the whole entire process of how people make chocolate in Guatemala, the cacao plant is everywhere. Uh, and so we got to take the actual, what'd you say, it's seeds? The seeds of the plant? The f- yeah, because the, the um, chocolate looks completely different than whatever like you think. Fruit. Imagine like a banana. Like think of how big and long bananas are, like right? Like a grapefruit. It's like a thick banana. I feel like it's a mix between a watermelon and a banana because it has like a green. I do stuff. not think it looks like a banana. <laughs> this is totally false. Like I think it looks like a passion fruit or a, like, you know, a red pepper sized It's plant. big. Like it's imagine big. your head is probably like 50% as big as your head. And then inside that it has a ton of seeds like Giselle was saying and the process of how they dry the seeds to, did you know that 
chocolate or the cacao seeds are actually alcoholic. I had no idea. And they said if you take, like, once you ferment them a little bit, if you have, like, a few different seeds, then it can actually be the equivalent of taking a tequila shot. We were like, what? There's no way. Are you talking about chocolate? So few different things we were found really cool and then there are so many different types of chocolate they had 70 percent was the sweet spot I we think, like the 70 where it was dark enough where you could get the real taste of the chocolate but you also have a little sugar in there to where it gives it the usual chocolate taste my favorite was the chili 70 percent, so it had just a little bit of heat on it 90 percent it's a little too strong for us. At we, least if me. We got to bite out of a straight cacao bean too. That was bitter. Oh, yeah. Would not recommend. Yeah, that was... And I, we learned an interesting fact where if you hold chocolate, you can tell if it's good chocolate by if it melts in your fingers. So if you grab like a Hershey's or any type of other chocolate and you hold it in your between your fingers for three seconds, if it starts to melt within three seconds... Good. Exactly. But if it doesn't melt within three seconds, then you got the bad stuff. Yeah, apparently. The we also got some rum chocolate or chocolate, chocolate rum. rum. Oh, we Did still not haven't know that had that. Thing. Yeah, it tasted really good though. And then we got some, uh, what was it called? The cacao bean uh, chapstick. Yeah, like yeah, when they're you... all about the natural skincare and stuff over there. So we went there and got the chapstick. And then we went next door and they had this whole herbal medicine place, which was really cool too. They don't have doctors, like traditional doctors in a sense over there. And so we went and saw, I think it was a group of maybe 10 or less ladies that run this area. And they passed these recipes down of like herbal remedies from generation to generation. And so we got to see where they grow everything. I bought a few little different tea bags that are supposed to help with like gut health or something. (laughs) But yeah, we tried to support as many of the local vendors as we could when we were there. Well, it was just so different from our usual trip. And I think that's why we loved it so much. Because usually what do we like to do? We like to be on top of mountains, backpack in, go on these road trips, these secluded areas. Yeah, we, we did do this. But I'm saying like, Lake Atitlan definitely had less of that. The only super adventurous thing we did was hike up to this one little lookout. It's right below Indian. Indian Mayan Nose. They called it the Mayan Nose. Oh, I said Mayan Nose. But apparently that's like the world-renowned best spot spot. around Lake Atitlan to see sunrise. So if you're in the area, definitely recommend staying in this village and hiking that for sunrise. We heard it's a total butt kicker. It's a hard hike. But, but it, the views look insane. We didn't have enough time to do that, unfortunately. I th- think that's like the one downside of working with tourism boards is occasionally you don't really get to dictate your itinerary as much. So, yeah, we didn't get to do it, but we know we will go back. And, and so. I mean, that that was all we got to do in Lake Atitlan. There was one other city. What was it called? The main one that we stayed in. Um, That was Panchachachel. Yeah, Panchachachel. Panchachachel. That- <laughs> that, I feel like that would be a great home base. If you're looking for to go there on like a honeymoon and you want to have the romantic side of Guatemala, go to Lake go to Lake Atitlan, stay in Ponchichel. I'm totally but- butchering and then this. There was also Santa Catarina Palopo. That was the other one. They have really cool art murals all over their city. So that's a really fun little area as well but, but you can you can make a whole trip out of that i think yeah you could go you could bounce around from village to village like it was and, and they have some so, great ways to backpack around there too if you're a backpacker just going through that's at san pedro that was that island where they have like <clears throat> excuse me backpacking hostels 
It's a very, very popular thing to do over there. Yeah, but such an amazing cultural lake. We would highly recommend stopping there. And then after that, we came back and went to Antigua. Antigua was... I actually really liked the city. I thought it had a lot of character. It was actually the capital of Guatemala before Guatemala City. So there's some beef between Antigua and Guatemala City is what we've learned. But the architecture there is beautiful. You've probably seen pictures of the Santa Catalina Arch. It's what it's very famous for. Um, we had a nice hike around up to this little viewpoint. And you can see this gorgeous um, view of Vulcan de Agua, which is one of the volcanoes in the area. Antigua is basically going to be your home base for anyone that is looking to get on some volcano excursions. And yeah, it was really fun. We had a little cultural walking tour with our guide around and learned the historical significance of the city. Um, I personally didn't think it was as impactful as Lake Atitlan in terms of learning about the culture. There's a lot more religious history in Antigua, but uh, I personally liked like Atitlan's vibe a little bit more. Yeah, I think I would totally agree with that. I think Antigua was much more on like the Catholicism and Mayan history yeah, so side. That, that was cool. It was cool to see, but it was definitely a little bit more industrialized just because that used to be the capital city. So a lot of people go there. I would recommend staying there only for maybe one to two days to well, see. Well, it depends if you're doing volcanoes. True, very which true. Which we can get into in just a second because Antigua. Um, it's a pretty small city, like very, very small. You can walk the whole thing. We actually did walk the whole thing, basically, when we decided to do this little sunset hike in the area. It's also where you can find, is that Hobbit, the Hobbit area? Oh, <laughs> we didn't yeah. go to the Hobbit area. Steve wanted to. But... I wanted to. Just, I was like, it's just Hobbits. And I'm like, yo, Lord of the Rings, come on. It'd be so Hobbit Tenango or something. Yeah, it was, it was very funny because there's this volcano there called Akatenango. So I think it was a play on words with that. They called it Hobbit Tenango. So if you're a little trendy, you're a little, you're a little influencer, you want some of that, <laughs> then I, I, I would highly recommend going there. It looks super cool. And there's this cool little hand that you can sit on, take like the tulum sure like picture. to take pictures there. Oh, I'm sure you do. But you're in Guatemala. Anyway, Antigua was a really cool city. We stayed at this super luxury place. I think it was called the Camino Real Hotel. Oh, man. Um, this place super was nice, gorgeous. Right central location. And it was maybe a 30-minute drive from the volcano that we decided to summit, which was a whole story in oh, itself. Yeah. We'll let's get into get in, that now. Let's get into the volcano. So we decided... So there's a few different volcanoes you can actually hike in Guatemala. The first one that we had been basically like not assigned to but suggested to hike was pacaya and although it's very cool pacaya is not super actively like um flowing right now and so it's kind of more like the slow lava kind of vibes whereas vulcan de fuego is very active constantly erupting there was actually a very large eruption in 2018 that killed people in the surrounding villages because it was so big and so we we didn't actually hike up Fuego. We hiked up Acatenango, which is adjacent to Fuego. And it kind of shares like a little uh, saddle up to Fuego. If you decided to end up going up Fuego, you just have a little, a little more risk doing that. Our guide also said it was illegal to hike up Fuego, but everyone says that it's not. So I don't know if he was just saying that. But anyways, we got a guide. His name is Roberto. He's the coolest. Uh, highly recommend doing this hike with a guide. They know exactly what's up. They know the best routes, best camping spots, best views. And they also provide like 
all of your equipment and stuff if you didn't have your backpacking and hiking stuff with you, which was nice because we already were carrying a lot of luggage. So they provided like our camping gear, our tents, our sleeping bags, our food, which is nice. We only had to bring our own water and snacks. And yeah, we had a great time doing this hike. This is awesome. This this hike kicked our butts though. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I I was sore for like the rest of the time we were in Guatemala. It was so funny. <laughs> I, I was complaining like a lot. <laughs> okay, so let me explain it to you this way. The hike is only three miles. No, Th- no, it's, no. It's like six miles. Up one way? It's like five or six miles up, yeah. Well, obviously we're thinking of different heights. <laughs> no, it's it, like five or six miles. But you, during this little period, you do a ridiculous over five thousand feet of elevation gain. Yeah, it's like a thousand feet per mile, and especially the beginning, you pull up to this little town, and everyone there is either a backpacker, a hiker, and you can do this hike two different ways. You can opt for an overnight route, which is the way that we did it, or you can do it as a day hike. The day hike is definitely a little bit more miserable, though. You have to start hiking at around 11 p.m., and then you keep hiking until you hit around 4 to 5 a.m., which is where you want to almost be summiting because the big thing to do at Akatenango is you want to see the sunrise from up there. It is absolutely insane. We mainly wanted to go so that we could get this awesome volcano picture of it exploding as we were hiking up. So highly recommend making sure that you can add this to your bucket list. But let's get back to the hike. Did you have the exact analytics over here? Oh, I'll look. 11 miles round trip and 5150. Okay, so it's 5.5 miles all the way up and over 5,000 feet, which is insane. And it's not like the five feet you're hiking through is like a very, very nice trail. It's dirt, it's slippery. There's some sections that are extremely slippery as you're hiking through the forest. Steven ate it. (laughs) (laughs) I did. And you go through the, I would say the hike is in like three different sections. So the first- farmland? So yeah, the first section is all farmland. There's one family that owns this whole little area. There's a little cafe that you can stop at on the way up where there's a lot of hikers that go up. And then it gets to this fence area and you literally have- maybe three feet all the way across from side to side that you have dozens and dozens of people trying to fight through with big backpacks. You're like trying to stay to the side, hitting your shoulder on the fence as you're walking up. Dust everywhere. Yeah, it was crazy. So we would really recommend starting early at this section to avoid as many people as possible. Like as early as we were early, like we were one of the first people up on the the base camp area on the mountain and we were still encountering a ton of people mainly because those people were coming down yeah and our guide was telling us the amount of erosion here it was insane so the fl- the land used to be completely flat as you're hiking up but as a, the po- as this hike has gotten more popular over the past five to ten years there is now this gully and this gully has to be what six to seven feet deep it was so deep i couldn't believe how many people had walked on there plus the rain because that is the second part of the hike once you get up through this area of the farmland and the crazy slippery dirt and going up these wooden stairs then you hit the jungle and this is where i feel like giselle started to die the cloud forest not the jungle um well okay this (laughs) (laughs) this part of elevation gain was rough i personally think it was as steep as climbing like any of the 13ers in the sierras maybe even the 14ers 
Like, I think it was deeper than Mount Langley. I, I would totally agree. Mount Langley was a cakewalk compared to this thing. <laughs> and so it kicked my butt because we haven't done a lot of hiking because it's been winter here. And so, yeah, it was very, very steep. Just make sure to take a lot of water breaks. We didn't have hiking poles. You can actually rent some of the poles in the beginning, but we just didn't do that because we started in a different spot than everyone else. And yeah, so you just keep going and going. Once we, there was this one section that was just brutal. And once you get to the top of it, though, it kind of flattens out. They have a little snack vendors along the way. And that's where we had lunch. And from there, the last, I would say, mile or two, piece of cake. Yeah, that part's like so easy. It's way, way easier. The first, I would say, two thirds of it is where you do. 90% 90% of the elevation gain. And then and you get to for, camp. Yeah, for reference, it took us, what, five or six hours going up, including the second day. So probably like six hours up, two hours down from the summit because you were just running down this thing. is is nuts. But it, we finally oh, got up there and it was so cool because you're right next to this exploding volcano. Yeah, we need. so when we were up there, it was insane the clouds would come in and out because it was extremely windy it rained on us at one point on us it was nuts we was outside in his socks (laughs) like photographing the volcano because he was so stoked and he's just getting pounded in hail no shoes on like jackets half on when you're sitting next to a volcano you don't stay in the tent you get out there and send it you know (laughs) but yeah it was really really cool It, it started exploding like wow maybe 20 minutes 30 minutes after we got up there, it took a little bit. We took a little nap. When and when we say it exploded, it doesn't. It, it doesn't warn you. It doesn't say like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna explode. Take the picture now." You'll be sitting there chatting. All of a sudden, you're just here, boom, and you see this huge cloud of black smoke. During the day, you really can't see the lava. Like at it's not all. red. You can see all the smoke. But you don't really see the actual lava until nighttime, which was so disappointing because (laughs) the clouds rolled in when that giant storm came. And so at blue hour, when we were hoping that we could get some really prime photographs of it, you could not see Jack because all the clouds came in. Yeah, that was definitely a bummer because blue hour is when you want to shoot it where it's not too dark, where we can be in the photo and have the explosion behind us. But instead... Like Jesus was saying, it got crazy. Cla- the there was there was one moment. Stephen will hate there. himself forever for this. Oh my goodness, dude! It was raining. It was windy. The biggest explosion we saw the whole time happened, and at the same time, there was a lightning storm going on. Like the lightning struck right above. So the I, yeah, thing I set up the, the tripod. I had a time lapse going. And then as soon as, you know, the time lapse, you set it for every two seconds, it takes a photo because I wanted to capture like the clouds moving with the smoke coming out of the volcano. And then a lightning bolt hit the top of the volcano in the middle of this crazy explosion. And I missed the shot by, by a half a second. I was stupid. so sad. I couldn't believe that would have been the most epic thing. There was this huge lightning bolt with three different prongs coming out of it, hitting the top of the volcano with the volcano exploding. It's cloudy. It's raining. How freaking epic would that have been? He saw it with his own eyes, which is, I, I guess, did. just as important. It's in the memory bank, but with my memory. <laughs> It'll be gone pretty soon. But yeah, we basically stayed up all night watching the volcano so we tried to get some sleep we ate dinner pretty early 
And then we went to bed and anytime there's this whole like Guatemalan group above us that had maybe 20 people, they were such a hoot. And they stayed up actually like the whole entire night. And anytime they started cheering, we got up and we're like, oh, it's time. Cause they, they were outside of, they didn't have a tent. They were just sleeping out under the stars cowboy camping. And so anytime they cheered, Steven instantly set up the remote <laughs> so it would trigger anytime they cheered. Yeah, so this bucket list picture, the behind the scenes with it, middle of the night, we opened up the tent. So we're not even sleeping with the tent closed. Well, I'm like half in my back, half in my sleeping bag. The sleeping bag is the thinnest sleeping bag I think I've ever had. We're sleeping on a quarter inch of foam. So it wasn't very comfortable. No pillows because we forgot to bring our pillows. So I'm like half on my hard camera bag trying to sleep. The tripod is set out, set up already outside of it with the 100, 400 lens on. And we always use a shutter remote. So we hooked up our shutter remote to the camera. So anytime we heard them cheering, I would like open up one eye and click it as many times as we can. But it's a slow explosion because we wanted to capture the crazy like light, um, the light trails off of the pieces of volcano that were flying out. So sometimes they would cheer and it'd be a little baby. Sometimes we would cheer and it'd be this massive explosion. So I think we took from pictures but from about 11 p.m. until about 4 a.m. So it was about five hours of clicking the shutter anytime there was a big explosion. And you only got to click it one, maybe two times per picture. Yeah, because the explosions did not last very long. Like, we had some guy comment such a rude piece of feedback. I mean, it was rude because it was uncalled for. Like, it was good feedback. But some constructive criticism on, well, you should have done this and you should have done this. And it's like, dude, we literally had... 20 seconds to capture it was hilarious and we were is in the middle of the night and we were sleeping we thought it was such a banger and this guy's like oh you should have not zoomed in as much you should have made it done it when it was brighter you should have had a longer exposure so i was that like the light- bro come at me <laughs> did you just go hike up this 13er in guatemala no so you do not get to say but we thought it was an absolute banger still one of our favorite pictures ever we got it framed and printed actually so it's in our room so super hyped about that still cannot believe the audacity of that guy i take <laughs> comments very personally which is why i try not to look at them but. anyway we have we hadn't even made it to the summit yet this was just us sitting there out of our tent capturing the photos finally it's about 4 a.m we start going up and our guide woke up and was like all right you guys let ready to leave in about 15 minutes so we packed up all of our camera stuff and hiked up and let me tell you this this section also steep. Oh, man. It's like scree. So you, you take a step up and you go back half a step. And then it took us an hour to get up like on the on the money. And we made it just in time for sunrise, which was awesome. And you're above all these clouds. And it's this gorgeous orange and yellow out on the skyline. And the volcano's going off. So by the time we finally got to the top, it was like, hallelujah. Uh, but it was definitely steep at the top. That that's like the last mile of any 14er in the Sierras as well. But it was totally worth it. The There were so many people when we got up there. We were honestly so surprised by how many people do this hike. Yeah, the top of it was pretty wild, though. It was definitely one of the most surreal moments we had because we didn't know where to look. We could look to the left where you have this, what was it called? Mount Vulcan de Agua. Agua. Yeah, it was basically this old volcano that is now filled with water just because it rains into that area. So they call it Vulcan de Agua. 
and the sun rises about 10 degrees to the left. Of that. Right now, at least, it might change. But. Yeah, and they got this crazy cloud layer. So it was kind of like a cloud inversion. It wasn't actually super cloudy. It was more like a moisture layer down we below. Were above them. Yeah, so it but cool. it looked wild. And then over to the right, we have Fuego exploding, going off. So we were like, do we take pictures of the sunrise and the epicness over there? Do we take pictures of Vulcan de Fuego just exploding? It was, and we were on top of this mountain that we, and we've gotten what, an hour and a half of sleep? <laughs> it, was, it was a day, but it was so worth it. If you guys go to Guatemala, you have to hike up a volcano. It is a bucket list activity. And we thought it was different than the one in Iceland for sure. Totally different experiences. Um, I would say this one was much more ag- like explosive, aggressive kind of eruptions, whereas the one in Iceland was kind of more consistent, flowy, soft eruptions. But both of them are cool in each sense. However, I did think in terms of epicness, the Guatemala one, one wins. Yeah, it was it was just cool to be on top of a mountain, seeing a sunrise, watching the explosiveness. I think that was the, that's the word that we should t- really explain is because in Iceland, it slushed around. It was jumping up and down. But it was definitely more red, but there was no like big, big booms. booms. Yeah, there was no boom moments. This one, yeah, it w- I'd say it's like an aggressive volcano. And we hauled down, like she said. She Two said, hours to get we all the way down. going so quick. You're running because it's so steep where if you don't run, you're going to slip. But yeah, it was a really fun experience. Highly recommend. We used, um, That was our favorite experience, I think. We used Kashem Adventures and our guide was Roberto. So that's highly recommend them yeah if you guys want to see what we're talking about in action we actually are gonna have our volcano youtube video going live pretty soon in three days from when this podcast is launched so if you guys are looking to see the all about this podcast in real life go ahead and check out our youtube the lover's passport and we you can see all of the b-roll and fun can you get an idea of what we're actually talking about we're not just crazy people describing this all right let's jump into let's jump into tikal yeah so basically guatemala is huge and once we did antigua guatemala city and um lake atitlan we went back to guatemala city because we needed to fly out of there to get to tikal because if you drive to tikal from uh these areas it would take like 12 hours which we basically kind of did in reverse but so we ended up actually flying out of guatemala city again and into the flores airport which is i think about a 30 minute to an hour drive to tikal itself tikal is a national park it's a huge area with mayan ruins that some have been covered some are uncovered now because of excavations but there's tons of these areas you could probably spend a whole two to three days in tikal itself we only did a day trip there and were able to see all the main excavation areas in temples one through five and this astronomy tower. It's really cool. You are going deep into the jungle for this area where you're going to be able to see like jaguars and all these different kinds of birds and howler monkeys. And by the way, if you've never heard of a howler monkey, oh my God, these things are crazy. They're the second loudest animal on earth and it sounds like something's dying when you hear them they're the they're a sound that inspired the dinosaur noise for jurassic park for reference so there's those there's there was literally so much wildlife there it was completely insane to see like when giselle is saying that there was uncovered and covered things 
everyone that talked to us about Tikal would say, hey, Tikal is super flat. Or like, this is the mountainy area. When you go up north, Tikal is the area that's super flat. So we'd be driving along and we'd ask our tour guide like, hey, I thought everyone said it was flat. Like, why is there a mountain over there? And they would be like, oh, you know, it's just it's just a temple. And we were like, wait, what? What are you talking about? And they, they would say that every single temple they have in Tikal costs around five to $25 million. So uncovering and excavating these Mayan temples is so expensive and so costly for the Guatemalan government, which doesn't have that kind of money to just be throwing around. And one thing to also know is Tikal is so far north. Like to get there, we had to hop on a plane and the only plane flight in the entire Guatemalan country is this flight to get with at least domestic within the Guatemalan country is to fly from this area out to Tikal or Flores. And like we said earlier, Flores is like the tiniest little or tiniest little airport we've ever seen. So driving up there, everything was flat except for these random little things. I'm in, I think in maybe, what would you say, five to ten years, that's how long it would take for us to really see most of the temples out there uncovered. It's just so time-consuming, as well as the roots get deep into the temples. They're hard to excavate. They don't want these temples to just fall down. But Yeah, there's... I, I think they'll they'll have a lot more resources in the future, hopefully. I think the coolest thing was the architecture. Like, seeing the, how much they planned the each Mayans. individual building was just insane. You guys, the Mayans were a whole nother breed. Like, they, their precision, their accuracy, their intention behind where they put all of these different temples in line with astronomy, in line with the sunrise and the sunset. It's incredible because they built all of these temples by hand. There was not technology at the time. And figuring out how they place these so perfectly geographically positioned for like the sun and the stars and the north and the south and the east and the west and how they use numbers to signify, signify certain things like the number nine representing like different parts of the underworld and it was just so interesting to learn about like it definitely made me excited to eventually go and see like Chichen Itza and some of the other uh, Mayan ruins and whatnot but I think the craziest thing is there's these two temples they call it temple two or temple one and, one and temple two and there's this courtyard picture like massive massive building it's probably what 150 feet 200 feet tall it's a lot of stairs up and then the other side, same exact thing. They're almost identical. Temple one is a little bit bigger. But if you stand in the exact middle and you clap, you hear this crazy echo back and forth. It's a noise that's supposed to replicate the national bird, the the Quetzal. And it's crazy. It sounds like, exactly the same. Like when we, when we tell you that it replicates it perfectly. And this it's not like you're close. These temples are about 200 yards apart. And you have to be exactly facing temple two, doing like halfway in between. I forget the exact significance of it, but go with a guide. You guys will learn so much. It blew Giselle's mind. Wait, I if you want to see this shook. once again, you have to go watch the YouTube video. You can see her jaw it. drop. We, we recorded it, but he claps and you hear an echo. And if he walks four feet for, to the right, 
four feet to the left and you collapse, it won't it won't happen. It's like modern day acoustics. It was the craziest thing to witness. It literally still blow blows my mind. That was definitely one of the coolest things I think, I think we saw. Volcano was my favorite and second favorite was Tikal. Like yeah. so cool. The and cultural then, significance just insane. And then from there we went on and did the Cuevas de Candelaria. Uh, really cool little caves. You go tubing, which is really fun. I got a ton of bug bites though. I have those bug bites for now. It's been what, three weeks to a month since we've been in Guatemala and they're still here. So I don't know what bit me. Bring bug spray people. Yeah. Um, This area was great. I think this area probably surprised me the most. Cause when they're like, oh yeah, we're going to go tubing through some caves. I'm like, all right, they're probably what, 10, 15 feet, like little baby caves. We'll take a little... 10 minute tour and then we'll be done like nah. cool kid in it dude it was like a two hour three hour thing and these caves were massive like Think like we, caverns national carlsbad caverns national park we, we haven't been there but some of these caves were easily 200 300 feet high it like blew and, and the craziest bats. thing was we hopped in the tube we went for like maybe 10 minutes we got out of the tube he's like let me take you to this cool spot so we hike up this small little area get to this cave and I was mind blown. This thing's 300 feet tall. There's like all of these crystallization things from the top that look like something out of a movie. It was wild. And I was like, okay, that was a sick tour. And he thought we, it was over. We, we jumped back in the inner tubes. I'm like, all right, is that it? We hike back now. And he's like, oh, no, we're just getting started. I was like, what? Yeah, his mind was already blown. I mean, still had another hour and a half. And they give you these massive funky looking headlamp things that you wear. It just... And then you're going through and you literally can't see anything. There was like, one there was oh one gosh. moment where he was like, Do you want to see something crazy? And we we're like, Yeah, let's do it. So we tur- we clicked our headlights and since we're, we're in a cave in it was black, pitch black. And we're not even touching the floor. We're floating in an inner tube down this river. G lasted maybe two seconds. <laughs> I said, you know what? Nope. I don't like this. I feel like I'm in some horror movie, so I turned my light back on. But yeah, it was very cool. And it's that one is all a community-led volunteer like tour. So if you get the chance, highly recommend doing it. That is one where you definitely need to have either a guide or no Spanish though, because they all speak only Spanish there. Um It was it completely blew us away though. It like it's hard to explain until you go. Until you go. Like Or see it. It's just surreal. You're in this tiny little rink dink tube floating down these master mastery of nature just huge caves and you get to see the culture in these very very spiritual places they they're sacred mayan caves some of them the ones that we went to like they they're not the ones where they do ceremonies and stuff but the guy did say that there are tons of caves in the back that aren't necessarily public where people will come and visit their mayan ancestors and they'll do their ceremonies to all around the caves there so really cool very significant spot that's kind of overlooked comparatively i found that on a blog and i asked if we could do it so really cool spot and then we the last thing that we did was simuk champay this area was probably one of the things we were looking forward to the most if you see a picture of it it's like one of the most picturesque it's like a paradise like think of that one super famous italian hot springs area that everyone takes a picture of the it's cascading like, turquoise blue yeah, water cascading blue water in this jungle in this huge valley there's these amazing lookouts over it the one thing to remember is it is so freaking far out of the way like 
is so far out of the way. Like it, it took, took us it. four to five hours to drive back to Guatemala City to make our flight the next day. And it was a four to five hour drive there. There. So it is, it's really hard to get to. So we would say if you're doing it, like split it into two trips kind of thing. Like do like Atitlan and Antigua in one trip and then do Tikal and Samuk Champagne in the caves in a different trip. If you're planning on staying for uh, a, a lot longer, we did this all in one week. So it was jam packed. And totally doable. It was just a lot of driving. Talking about Samuk Champagne, though, I'm not going to lie. We were a we little was, disappointed. We thought it was overrated. Yeah, it was definitely overrated. It like, was cool. Don't get me wrong. Super cool. But with the effort to get there, and then the, you couldn't fly drones for free there anymore. They've now made it uh, banned to fly drones unless you pay $300. Can you believe that? That's insane. I mean... Don't get me wrong. If we go to Yosemite and they were like, yo, $300, you can fly your drone, I'd do it. I'd, I'd do it in Yosemite. If you were allowed to. But, yeah. Um, yeah, they, they like put a drone sign up now, so you have to pay if you want to. It's just, I mean, good for them. They're making money. But we were so disappointed because we'd seen all these aerial pictures, and then all of a sudden we're not getting any of those. And then we finally get there. We get in. The water was really nice. Like, I loved swimming around in the water. It was just very busy. And so crowded. It felt like a national park or, like, Disneyland kind it of stuff. It felt style. like Disneyland. There were guards everywhere, everywhere just watching you, seeing what you were doing. seemed like there was a good mix of 50% locals, 50% tourists. But it was – the thing that off-put me was getting there. Like, going to Tikal, totally fine. There was no one – pushing us to do things it was a very cultural amazing area well, volcano no one's pushing you to be there everyone's stoked everyone's having a good time lake Atitlan. no one was really approaching us there no, were some like, vendors that some people us. but it was very very calm it wasn't like anyone was in your face when you're out there in smook champagne since it's so far out of the way that area relies heavily on tourism and they're much more aggressive yeah street they're they like we saw some crazy pushy, uh, crazy pushy locals in some Egyptian YouTube videos that we saw of like these crazy things the Egyptians were doing and getting there. There's kids. There's so many kids. They try like, and use their kids to sell you stuff. And when we say kids, we're not talking like 16, 17 year old, four year old kids. Yeah, they're like little tiny kids, and they'll walk up to you and they're like, "Chocolate, take my chocolate," or like, "Buy this and buy that." And I mean, if I wanted chocolate, I would have bought some chocolate. But there were hundred, not I wouldn't say hundred. You would say like, no, the next one. Would there were come like up. fifty or sixty kids, and they would surround the car. You would stop for a second at like a little area, and you would see all of these kids surround the car. They it's would like they'd have water shoes, water like stuff people will probably forget all the time. Yeah. But we came prepared, so we didn't need it. And if you say no, they're like, please, please, please. And it's just like it was very sad to see. It yeah. was that we weren't getting pestered by the adults. I like it would have been fine. I could have just walked past the adults, but the kids would stand in front of you and, and they'd like follow you. Follow you. They keep asking you. So that was a little off putting. And then while you're hiking up to the viewpoint, they station themselves throughout your hike at uh, like <laughs> right. Okay, actually, I just did not speak English for a full sentence. <laughs> um, they station themselves along your hike, and so right when you get to a spot after a ton of elevation gain, then you would theoretically want to take a break. Yeah, they're right there. <laughs> so you get to a spot, you just completed a hundred stairs up to this viewpoint and you're tired, but we kept going because every time we turned the corner, there was a new vendor and it's like, 
I just want to hike, you know, but yeah, I get it. I get it. There were so many restrictions. Like think of national park area. There's gates up everywhere. There's blocked off people. You can only take photos in certain spots. Yeah. like, Like, and you, when there's this one photo that did really well for us it was a beautiful photo like it's a Steven's it's great shirt was off so oh did well. man yeah but anyway it was a great photo but behind the scenes what you didn't see is there were 12 people standing in line yeah i hate was, standing in line to take photos it was it right after we hiked up about 1500 feet so we're out of breath we're sweaty we're holding our heavy camera gear there's a guard standing right there i was like hey can i walk up to this spot to get it and he's like no you can't do that and i was like what do you mean? And there's one part you can stand to take a picture. That's it. Everyone takes the same exact picture there. There's no creativity. So no it one's it like even. No one's asking you how you're doing. They're just like staring at you, and everyone's judging you as you're taking. It was, it, it that part was definitely a little. For a photography standpoint, it was disappointing, is what he's saying. But from a tourist standpoint, it was really fun. I mean, it was great. Yeah, it was a beautiful view up there. I just wished we could have like sat at that viewpoint. For, you know, 10, 15 minutes, took it in, took a little break, drank some water. Like, you can't sit in that viewpoint, basically. Because too many people are taking photos. There's a five-foot section where you can see Samuk Champagne. Hiking down was good. Being in the water, like Giselle said, was super fun. The unfortunate part is, is unless you're staying there, it takes so long to get out there that usually you're only going to be there for an hour, two hours max, and then you have to start going back. And then... Even if you're staying in the town that's close to it, it still takes about an hour just to get there and an hour back. So on top of the travel time and if you're staying in a different location, you just don't have a lot of time there. So if you do go to Tikal and Smook Champagne, I would recommend spending like two to three days in Tikal and two to three days at Smook Champagne. I think for us, that would have made it a much better experience and I, I think we were just disappointed from the standpoint of we built it up so much. We had we high expectations. So, yeah, we were so stoked. We were like, this is the spot we've been waiting for. And you're like, nope, you can't do that. You can't do this. It's blah, blah. It, it, you got to wait in line and do the Yeah, so it was disappointing. But still very, very beautiful. But it was probably our least favorite yeah, if we were the to, trip. I, I don't know. I, do you want to rank everything so that we volcano, talked about? So Volcano was number one. Decal number two. Lake Atitla, number three. The caves were also really cool, though. But I would so put caves like, number four, and then this one. I would five. put Antigua, a right under this one. I don't know. I I liked Antigua, but I feel like I feel like it's okay. I feel like the Samuk Champagne is above it. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just because we're more into like landscapes than cities. But very true. Everything was awesome. Yeah, Guatemala, but this one was just a little overrated. Pricing wise, though. Guatemala is not as cheap as I thought it was. Yeah, I feel like Mexico has that stereotype of being cheap, and it is cheap. And then you go to Guatemala, and you have that same expectation, but it's actually quite different. Like, food is, it's not cheap, but it's not its not California prices. Like, you're not going to walk into a restaurant, and the cheapest entree is $20. But it's still not... its It'll probably yeah. be, like, I would say most of the things were between like 9 to 12 $15 on the higher end. So it's cheaper than the U.S., but it's not like you're walking in and you're getting a five-star course for under $100. It's not like Thailand's cheap. Yeah. We're not like um, certain third-world countries cheap. So just keep that in mind. But it's a great location for people on their honeymoons, for people just wanting like a week off of 
adventure and romance and cities, but also landscapes. It's got a really nice mix for everyone. Yeah, it's an amazing country. I think it is so underrated. And like I said, I think I, I said the same thing about when we went to Abu Dhabi. I think Abu Dhabi is so up and coming. They're building a lot of infrastructure. They're doing a great job at keeping the city clean. One thing about Guatemala is it was very I wouldn't say dirty. It was just it was trashy. Dirty. Yeah, it was dirty. There uh, was... They burn trash everywhere too. And and there's like a lot of signs saying don't burn the trash because they've had a lot of issues with it in the past. But that's because it is technically a third world country. And so just keep that in mind as you visit. I think that's one thing that's really cool about traveling is it opens your eyes into how other people in the world are living and it is a very big reality like it's really cool to see all these spots but it is also very sad to see so many people living below the poverty line here i think the saddest thing was the dogs that was that because you see just because we have our 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 puppy karen and uh there were so many dogs everywhere that just looked so emaciated and you get similar things in places like bali especially i've seen a lot of uh similar things there but there's like not enough food for them so they just don't eat same thing with like the like sometimes the families don't have enough to eat and so that's why we really really tried and supported all the local tourism there when we visited yeah it was it was a really really cool country i would highly recommend going and just going with um the mentality that it's not going to be like a five-star luxury resort. Go with the mentality of like, I want to take in the culture. I would recommend going into all the local spots, going into the farmer's markets, trying to get off the beaten path. But with that, I would also recommend a guide for most things. It is going to be a little bit more expensive if you bring a guide. But, but it makes sp- the experience so much better. Yeah, you just learn a lot more about the culture. They can show you hidden gems. It's helping them as well. Because what we learned is most... Guatemalans like the average price of how much they make per month is around 600 US dollars. No, I thought it was like 300. Maybe it was 300 US dollars, which is insane. Like imagine how much minimum wage is here in the US. It's pushing what $17 an hour here in California. And then that's how much they're making in two days of work in the U.S. That's how much a whole month they're making down there. So definitely go learn the culture. We can't wait to go back. I definitely think that we'll be spending some time there, spending a little bit more time, especially up north, because we would love to go back to Tikal, spend more time at Samuk Champay. There's this other backpacking trip out to this more secluded area what, do you remember what it was area. called no but there's if you look it up if you just look up like mayan ruins in guatemala there's a ton of different options so yeah we're really excited i hope you guys enjoyed kind of our guatemala debrief and if you guys want to see more content from guatemala check out us on instagram we posted a ton of fun pictures and you can see all the this is like we said the behind the scenes what it really was like when we were going through the country. But you can see the highlights on our Instagram. If you're looking for more in-depth guides, make sure to check out our YouTube. We're going to make a ton of guides about the volcano, like Atitlan, 
decal our experience for the entire country with our Guatemala Ultimate Guide. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. And once again, the best way you can help us support this podcast so we continue to make episodes is by sharing it. If you can share it on your Instagram story, share it on Facebook, or even sharing it with one person, one other person that you think would be interested. Maybe they've talked to Guatemala about you. Maybe they would be relatable and you think they'd have fun on the volcano hike. If you could share this podcast with one other person, that is the best way you can help support us on Unfiltered Adventures. We have nine episodes now completed, and we are looking at doing around 15 for the full season. We have so much more planned for you guys, and we're really excited to do another episode with you next week on Friday on Unfiltered Adventures. And with that, we will see you next week.